nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night. Good morning, perhaps, um, depending where you're joining us from. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on this what has suddenly turned into a gorgeous, uh, sunny spring afternoon here in Seville. Um, very soon, we'll be joined by our, uh, our I'm going to say expert guest today because he certainly is one of those. Um, I mentioned in, in one of my tweets um, that he was, did I say a giant of, of CPD? I, I'm not sure exactly if I remember. It was, it was some form of large um, thing, the, a beer moth, perhaps. Um, anyway, he will be joining us very shortly. Um, before that, um, I'd just like to welcome you all here again today. Um, how is the weather where you are? I'm going to say today it has been absolutely oof. Um, it's been insane, the weather here today. It started out this morning, it was absolutely freezing, and it's turned into an evening where I'm very much in, in short sleeves, and I probably shouldn't be wearing my cap um, in, in this heat. Um, so how has your week been so far? Mine's been, um, it's been, it's been a different one. It's been, I've been doing a lot of writing this week, which has been, which has been fun for me. Um, I've been doing... A lot of parenting, which has also been um, good. Uh, I think, you know, when you're a parent, you're supposed to do that. Um, but I've also been doing uh, a lot of dog parenting. Now, um, I've actually got David holding on the line there. Um, he's, he's got, I've got him on a Zoom chat so he can see my, my permanent guest. Now, you may or may not be able to hear her snoring away in the background, um, but she's definitely there um, and she's making an awful lot of noise. Um, but what have you been up to since I last spoke to you? Uh, have you planned your your next route in CPD? Um, or have you just been coasting by and trying to make it through the weeks? Um, we're going to be learning a lot about uh, how to make people feel valued, teachers specifically, um, and of course, developed as well. I've, I've had a lot of chatter here, there and everywhere on. Uh, uh, hi there, Dr. Amy. Thanks for joining us. Um, here, there and everywhere, um, all about CPD recently. Um, some people feeling that it's it's not always um, up to them what they they choose to do. And sometimes they have, they, uh, one person mentioned they have CPD done to them, which, uh, which sounds uh, not like a particularly nice operation, but it certainly sounds like one. Um, for me, as a, as a teacher and a teacher trainer, uh, CPD has been, I don't know, a lifeblood for me, really. It's its what's kept me interested in the profession. It's what's kept me going. And, you know, as a teacher, I think it's important to also be a learner um, and letting your yourself stifle and, and not improve is something that I think is almost criminal. You know, it's not really right to go into the classroom and say, you need to learn this and you need to learn that. Hi there, Jonathan. Um, pleasure to have you here. Um, it's, sorry, there, there, David. Someone just said hello in the chat, um, and it's um, yeah. I think it's a bit hypocritical if you get to the stage where you're a teacher and you think that's it, I'm done now. 
Now, something here in Spain that's a big issue for me is the public exam system, whereby you do a public exam, which is incredibly hard, by the way, and doing this public exam, you know, hats off to anyone who can manage to get through it. It's incredibly difficult. But once you've done that, you've got your job. Um, and that's your job pretty much for life. And, you know, there's little or no CPD. So you end up with teachers who do the same classes year after year after year. They don't develop, they don't change, they don't move with the times. And then if something like a pandemic hits, they're, they're not ready for it. They're not ready to adapt. Um, and also here in Spain, there's a lot of bilingualism in schools and and teachers who have stopped developing and stopped learning find it very difficult to suddenly be able to speak a whole other language. But we will be speaking to um, David Weston very soon. Uh, before that, do stay where you are. We're going to pop off for the news and we'll be back very shortly. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
In England, the latest government data shows that 178,800 pupils were absent from school due to COVID, a decrease of 0.3% since March the 17th. The number of staff absences has also decreased by 0.4% in the same time period. School leaders are, however, still expressing concern over the ongoing disruptions and both the NAHT School Leaders Union and the Association of School and College Leaders have called for Education Secretary Nadim Sahawi to reinstate free lateral flow tests for pupils and staff. General Secretary Paul Whiteman said, We continue to hear a sense of deep frustration from school leaders as they struggle to deal with the significant and ongoing disruption caused by COVID, whilst the government removes every measure they have for controlling it. We all assumed living with COVID meant there would be very low case levels. This is clearly not the case, and absence rates remain at concerningly high levels. School leaders feel they have been abandoned. In Lancashire, video games are being used to teach children about climate change and flooding. The game is called Rivercraft and has been devised by the Environment Agency in collaboration with Microsoft. It is based on Minecraft and integrates flood mitigation. Andy Brown, Flood Risk Manager for the Environment Agency said, this is an amazing opportunity for students and a project we are proud to be part of. Not only will young people learn about a major flooding scheme in the UK, but they will also discover more about climate change, the environment, flooding, and the types of roles available for careers in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Justin Edwards, Director of Learning Programmes, Minecraft, said, We know people around the world love Minecraft, and so it is really rewarding for us to see Minecraft encouraging students to talk about and engage with environmental issues. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about improving your skills. I listened to the morning show with Dorian Brown last Friday and he was discussing teachers' tech skills. I'm not here to start a discussion, that's his job. However, this week I investigate can you get better at tech for free? Is there any CPD out there that doesn't cost a fortune? The answer is yes. There's a lot of online self-paced courses out there and even some supported by bursary funding for cover to get you out of the classroom and trained in school time. So what did I find? Let's start with free training. Let's face it, the big three companies in edtech are Apple, Google and Microsoft. So what do they offer? 
Apple Teacher is a free professional learning program designed to support and celebrate educators using Apple products for teaching and learning. As an educator, you can build skills on iPad and Mac that directly apply to activities with your students. Earn recognition for new things you learn and be rewarded for the great work you do every day. Sign into the program and work your way through the badges to get your Apple Teacher certificate. Google for Education offer a free training for educators. Courses range from beginner to advanced and there's also lots of courses on getting the most out of devices such of Chromebooks. They also have a certified program consisting of educator level 1 and level 2. All resources are free but if you want certification it's done through a paid exam. You can also go on to be a certified trainer, innovator and coach. Microsoft Educator Center offers hundreds of free online self-paced courses for educators. All have a certificate attached and a badge that can be shared. There is also a dedicated educator pathway to become an innovative educator, trainer and expert. All of these are free. If you want to fine-tune a particular skill, there's loads of free training providers out there too. For example, Coursera is an online self-paced course platform that offers free training. If you want a certificate, you'll need to pay, but lots of courses are free, and if you don't need proof of completion, go for it. Finally, there's lots of different hubs out there to provide bursary-funded CPD for schools, computing, maths, English and MFL to name a few. A great way to find out what's on offer is to contact your local teaching school hub as they will know what is available in your area. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. A tech intro there, all about CPD. Well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you know it? Um, you know, it, it seems it was written in the stars. Um, we have uh, a, a fantastic guest today. Somebody I've been waiting for a little while to, to speak to. Actually, I'm quite excited. Um, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's David Weston. Um, he's the, the CEO of the Teacher Development Trust, the, the chair of the Department for Education CPD group, an author, a campaigner and a speaker. And that's just me saying what I can read from what he's done, from what I've found. I know for a fact there's going to be an awful lot more. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, David. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, really good to be on. Yeah. And actually, what do I want to add to that Uh not a lot. My my normal, you know, those horrible meetings when people say, oh, and tell us one interesting fact about yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, which are dreadful. Um, my one is I once taught ballroom dancing on a cruise ship, um, not using my real name. Oh, so wow. That I is didn't... my, yeah, that is my interesting, if, if called for in a meeting fact. Oh, wow. I did not expect that. That was de definitely interesting. I, what I often do with my students is, Instead of saying an interesting fact, I like to tell them to tell me an uninteresting fact about yourself. You know, they come up with stuff like, I, I don't like mayonnaise on sandwiches. <laughs> you know, just a, a bit of a different twist. Um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about how um, teachers can feel valued. But before we do that, before we jump in with the with the meat, let's get some bones. Um, so... You are the, the CEO of the, the Teacher Development Trust, which is great. Um, but how did you get there? What was it that led you? What was your, your journey um, yeah. to where you are today? I mean, there's, there's longer and shorter versions of this. So let's do the pithy one. Um, started off, I had this sort of weird route into teaching itself. Um, I don't know. I speak to so many other people who, you know, said something, I don't know, from the age of two months, I always knew I needed to be a teacher and I wanted to 
help young people. And I'm always thinking these people are incredibly inspiring. I'll be completely honest. I was at uni and I really enjoyed it and I wanted to stay another year. And I'd vaguely thought about teaching. So I did a PGCE, which is the most uninspiring reason to get into teaching. Um, and then at the end of that PGCE, when I thought, actually, that was quite nice, actually, I, I sort of enjoyed that and I probably should get a job now. Um, I went into teaching. Um, it was a, uh, I spent 10 years as a, as a teacher taught science, um, particularly physics, maths, a bit of computing, um, general school data geek nerd, AKA the Sims guy. Um, I got into initial teacher education, got into sort of coaching colleagues, particularly around using and thinking about data, supporting some other schools in that area. And, um, <coughs> in the middle of, uh, in the middle of all of that, um, I'd got spectacularly ill at one point and then got better. So just lots and lots of things went on through my career. And then there was this, um, key point, I suppose, in 2012, when I had a fateful conversation with, um, an amazing guy called Mark McCourt, who is, um, if people are on Twitter, they might know him there as eMaths UK, and you should absolutely follow him because he's brilliant. And I was saying, I've sort of created this idea, this thing around teachers' professional development, and it's like an online tool, and I'm not really sure what to do with it. And he said, I wonder, I wonder if it's worth thinking about a charity. And um, just lots of pieces came together because it was that time when Michael Gove and co were shutting down any quango that moved. <sighs> Um, so it was sort of a time where everyone knew that teachers' professional development was important, but there didn't seem to be a specific voice for it anymore. There wasn't a general teaching council. There wasn't a national college for school leadership or anything like that. So um, he and I, and then some other people as well, some other teachers and leaders, set up the Teacher Development Trust, essentially to just relentlessly talk about why teacher development is so important and how we could try and solve the problem of teachers getting access to the sort of the most excellent ideas in teaching to learn from them in ways that actually sustainably helped young people and do so in an environment in which staff can thrive, in which people feel respected and valued and um, you, you just love showing up to work every day. And just a, just a small three difficult things we wanted to solve. But essentially, for the last 10 years, we've really focused on that. Um, and it's been an amazing 10 years. But um, you asked me how I got into it. So I won't go into the, I won't get into the rest yet. It's, uh, it is, um, it's pretty inspirational. I've, I've read uh, a lot of the things that you've written um, behind your back, obviously. You know, I've gone out there and <laughs> is that called doing your research? I just, I just found it very interesting, to be perfectly honest. Um, and... Yeah, because for me, CPD has always been super important, you know, as a as a teacher, because everything's changing and it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need to keep up with those, those different things. And even if things aren't changing, you know, students are changing, you know, trends in education are changing. Like every, there, there's something that's always changing. And I, yeah. I found um, when I was working in one job, um, you know, I did the, the same year group two years in a row and I found myself teaching the same lesson plan as the year before. And it felt like, it just felt incredibly wrong. So, you know, there were bit, bits and pieces of it that I could have used and, and adapted, but it just felt like I wasn't, 
developing properly if I couldn't develop my lesson as well? You know, if, I, if year on year you're using the same thing. Um, but I do have a, a pressing question for you. Now, you Go said ahead. you were a maths teacher and, and you're into to maths and stuff like that. Yes. I want to know when did maths change? Because my daughter is eight years old and she's learning maths and it's different. You know, she's doing learning how to do long division at the moment and she's doing um, sub subtractions. Conllevada, uh, it's called in Spanish. I'm carried, you know, when you have to carry numbers anyway. Yeah, yeah. I was really good at maths and I was like, yes, super excited to do this with my daughter. But it's all changed. It's all yeah. different. Um, so this this actually impacted me as a teacher. So I did my PGCE in 2002. And that hadn't, I suppose, been that many years since I'd been a, you know, since been a student, because I'd just gone straight from school to university to being a teacher. Um, and when I started, so I started teaching mainly science and physics. And when I started teaching maths in 2000, and when was it seven, eight, I think, um, I started by mainly teaching sort of GCSE and A level. And it was only a couple of years later that I started teaching year seven. And I realized just how long it had been since those year sevens had been year five, year six versus when I had. And it was, it came as a bit of a shock, even though I knew, you know, that um, primary math teaching had changed substantially. It came as quite a shock to be face to face with it. And even though I tried to do my homework, I tried to prepare, I nevertheless occasionally said things and had students, uh, pupils sort of saying, uh, no, we don't do it like that anymore, sir. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it, it was amazing, actually, how things like the national numeracy strategy in the 2000s and um, various other things have really shifted the way that uh, children do learn maths. And I think that does cause a problem for uh, a lot of parents who think, well, look, I feel vaguely competent doing it that way. But now I'm being told that's not the way to do it anymore. Um, but actually, there's been a lot of method in it to actually help children. It's less about just compute bits and just sort of follow some rules and get them and answers pop out, but really understand where those numbers are coming from and get a really good sense of number. So I think it's a good thing. But yeah, I struggled with that as well. No doubt about it. It's been it's, it's been good. I mean, it's been good for me as well to learn these kind of new ways. But um yeah, the other day that I was having a, a word with my daughter um, and I I just wasn't aware of, of how long division was done now or, you know, or didn't know if it was done differently in Spain. And, and I, you know, I got to the answer and she was like, oh, we don't do it like that, Dad. And I was like, yeah. well, how do you do it? And she said, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know. And I was like, well, I can't teach you to do it my way if you're going to then go into school. Yeah. And do it yeah. a completely different way. So then, um, then again, to be honest, I still remember having exactly the same conversation with my dad, where he would do this really annoying thing of saying, mm, "That's really interesting." Well, and not not give me the answer, but say, mm, "Let's go back to first principles," which basically meant, <clears throat> "I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm going to cover that by this smart-sounding phrase, and then just start working at it from the very beginning." And it basically didn't help me at all. And he usually really enjoyed it um and at the end of the process i sort of think i'm not sure that's the way i'm supposed to do it and that doesn't entirely make sense to me but you know nice chat um so i think you know has ever been thus um and also i suppose one of the weird things about learning is when you've learned the thing you forget what it was like to learn it and you forget what it was like along the way to not know it and of course every parent has that problem that you don't remember the learning bit and you don't remember what it was like to not know the stuff you know 
So it, it's very hard to be a teacher. That's the why, as teachers, of course, we need to keep learning and developing because you can be an absolutely fantastic expert in a domain, but then you've got to go back and relearn how people learn it and how they struggle with it and how you help them through that and how you connect with not only doing the doing of whatever you're teaching, but learning it and improving it. Of course, that gets a whole crazy new level if you're then helping other teachers develop because not only do you need to know how to do the thing and how people learn the thing, but then how other people learn to help other people learn the thing. <laughs> um, so that's quite skillful, right? That gives you a pretty mind-boggling mental map of your subject by the time you know how to train other teachers in teaching that subject. In a Yeah, especially teaching in a way that maybe they didn't learn it as well. So, yeah. you know, it's it does really have like, it, it's so multifaceted, you know, and yes. I, I find, Absolutely. you know, it, when it comes to teacher training, I... I approach it in a very different way to the way I, I approach my classes. Um, you know, I have classes of all ages. I, I teach six and seven year olds. I teach teens. I teach adults. But my like when it comes to teacher training, um, it's always it's very different. Um, I try and you know when it comes to to classes anyway, I try and involve my learners as well and have a you know my my students involved as much as possible. A student led class, particularly you know I teach English, so when it comes to languages. Yeah, they need to be producing, they need to be um, showing what they can do. Um, but yet, when it comes to teacher training, I I try and get as much from the teachers as I can. You know, I try and learn as much from them. Yes, I try and learn from my students as well. In fact, um, somebody just joined the chat, Ritik uh, has just joined. He was on my course recently. Um, oh, he's, a, he's a teacher in India. Um, and... I learned so much from him in the training course and in those training sessions that I think being on this side of CPD, I've said with inverted commas, um, being on the, the kind of developer side of it, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Mm. Um, I'm sure you can agree. Well, absolutely. But do you know what I really love about what you've just said? Is it um, by saying, look, people are going to come to me and I have some knowledge about this aspect of teaching or maybe this aspect of leadership but um i'm not um you know you're what you're saying is i'm not arrogant enough to just assume that everything i know is correct and just by listening to me you will be better but that actually you have experiences that i don't have you have you perceive things that i don't perceive you think about things in a way i don't think and actually the way that we together will help you develop your practice is i need to meet you where you are quite respectfully and say you know, what do you know and understand now? And maybe there are things, yeah, you know, there are things that I can learn from you. And that's, that's in no way disrespecting the fact that, you know, you know lots about your domain, you know, lots about your subject. But the thing just endlessly irritates me is people, and, and I've fallen foul of this myself, is people read about an idea and think, wow, that's new to me. And I suddenly feel much more skillful and knowledgeable because I know these words and concepts. And wow, I'm overexcited now because if everyone knew these things, the world would be a better place. And because I've never heard my colleagues say this, I'm going to assume they know nothing about it. They're complete novices and completely unintentionally lacking in any respect at all. I'm just going to sit them down and tell them they've been doing it wrong and this is the way to do it. And then when they initially react and kind of look a bit grumpy about that, I'm going to assume they're resistant to new ideas rather than I've just approached this in a terrible way, right? And it is the endless, endless problem of teacher professional development, where basically enthusiasm 
from one person who just says, oh, this idea is great, or I really think this can make a difference, leads them to forget to meet people where they are and leads them to forget being respectful, helping people like go on a journey together, feel really empowered. And no wonder that surveys tend to say that as people go through their profession, teachers have a lower and lower opinion of CPD because it just tends to be either, hey, you know a bit about this, can you sling some PowerPoints together and just do something? Or someone else who's done the same and then hasn't really engaged in a dialogue with you. And that's why, you know, so we always see this thing saying new, you know, early career teachers are more enthusiastic about CPD. And it's just so tragic that there are so many teachers, maybe some listening today, who have been in the profession a long time and just kind of go, it's just normally rubbish or it's normally patronizing or it's kind of frothy and superficial or it's kind of done in a way that just assumes I'm an idiot. And then not only am I an idiot, but I can't be trusted. So someone has to come around in a clipboard and I don't know, have some nonsense like, have I seen you doing growth mindset in your lesson? <sighs> yes, no, oh. you know. And you know what's tragic? You laugh at that. I remember using that in a leadership seminar once and I use that as a joke and say, you know, a really bad leadership approach, like, you know, going around with a checkbox saying, I have seen evidence this teacher is using growth mindset or not after a session. And genuinely, some people in the audience went, that's a great idea. That's how I can monitor impact. What a wonderful idea. Make, make the checkbox. Um, but it's madness. You know, that's not, that's not how you treat people as professionals. Anyway, this is now turning into a mini rant. But essentially, this is the stuff that drives me and the charity, the Teacher Development Trust, because we just think it, sh it, it can be so much better. And what's the, the really great part of my job is I get to go into schools, you know, sort of, I suppose, on a monthly basis and recently virtually go into schools, but just speak to amazing leaders and amazing teachers and hear again and again and again how much better than that can be. And these teachers who go, I feel energized coming to work and I'm loving learning and growing and I'm seeing my impact get better. And I'm, you know, it's fantastically intellectually stimulating. Um, and that's what, you know, gets me up every day. Um, and that's what makes us all tick. And um, it just feels very important. So, you know, bravo to you for approaching things in a way that says Ritik here has great ideas to contribute. And it's not just a one way, you know, I will tell you stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the box ticking thing took me back to a job I previously had where, you know, I, I joined as a senior teacher from a, from a previous um from a previous place and I joined assuming I'd be a senior teacher there as well you know what they mm -hmm. say to assume makes an ass of you and me <laughs> um and I, I wasn't and I, I so I went in with you know seven years of experience at the the, the base level mm. and then had to provide evidence that I was doing these different things I had done these different things and I had to get the boxes ticked mm. and I had to prove to my mentor that I had done this and I'd done that and and it was all a case of box ticking. I mean, turned out the mentor is now um, one of my best friends. He lives in the village. My daughter and his daughter are best friends. So it was good in that respect. And he just kind of said, I know you can do that. You know, I've seen yeah. you. I've, you know, he went through and ticked the boxes. But it is that idea of, you know, can you tick the box? And, yeah. and there were Friday meetings that we had to go to. And every week it would be somebody else. And there would be so much jargon in those meetings just endless yeah. jargon now that's something for me that that will put anybody off you know an experienced oh, yeah. teacher a, 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 a new teacher when you just walk in there 
I'm the expert and I know all the words. So I'm going to say all the words so you know that I'm an expert. And then I'll click through my PowerPoint. I might even read some of it to you um, and undermine the fact that knowing you can read. And yet it just, that's, you know, I can see that that would be why people, you know, tire of CPD. So oh, yeah. the question is, and the the crux of the matter, as it were, do your teachers feel valued and developed? And if they don't, how can they? Yeah. Um, well, you know, as you say, that is um, that is the crux of the matter. And whenever I work with school leaders, one of the things that um, we always say is, look, the only way your pupils can learn more um, that's in your control is by helping your teachers and the rest of your staff get better. Um, and the way you're going to do that, if you want to do it sustainably, the way you do that is by getting people to be more expert at what they do. Um, you can, you know, I suppose there's some sticking plaster things, which is just to say, tell everybody, just do this. And you might get some, I don't know, it might superficially seem to be better for a short while, but that is not a sustainable way of improving things. <clears throat> As anyone who attempts to just tell pupils what to do. Um, just do this just do this and you know that that, that uh, tactic runs out of steam pretty quickly so we did some research um, um, my colleagues and I so I did this um, piece of research um, and I was working alongside uh, Bethan Hindley who's now Teacher Development Trust Head of Delivery and Maria Cunningham who used to work at TDT um, and is now working at the Education Endowment Foundation and we searched high and low we searched across research databases we searched all we asked experts in the field say what are all of the research papers we can find that um, essentially try and figure out what is what is it about how teachers are treated and the environment and the climate they're in that actually helps teachers get better but not just sort of visually better but actually helping children learn more and we uh, produce this paper and it's still uh, we're still calling it a working paper because I still think we're there's, there's more to do there's more to add but um, our first sort of published working paper is called a culture of improvement and it explored um, quite a large number of papers from around the world that said loads of people have essentially asked teachers the question what's it like here and they've done surveys and then they look at has that had any impact on people outcomes and essentially, yes, yes, it does. It does make a significant difference. And whereas sometimes people get really excited about if I just improve the curriculum or if I just do more interventions, actually a massive driver of change turns out to be five key things, um, five key aspects of the environment. Um, and those aspects include things like feeling safe in the classroom where not only pupils can learn, but teachers can learn too. That's really important. You know that mm -hmm. feeling when you're about to go into a lesson where you just think, this is a class that is not going to be settled. Things might kick off. I am anxious. Um, it's very, very hard to take an interesting idea and try it out there because it's kind yeah. of high stress. And it's always a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy as well. When you go in there yeah. thinking this class is going to be terrible, you started on the, off on the wrong foot and it just doesn't work. And 100%. it is terrible. And you're 100%. like, I knew it. Yeah. And actually, the thing is, it's, it's like it's blindingly obvious, isn't it, when you think about pupils, because if they feel a bit unsafe and as though someone might do un unexpected things and they might feel uh, that their contributions won't be welcomed, of course, they're not going to learn as well. And we know we have to create these nice, safe, positive learning atmosphere classrooms. But exactly the same works for 
us as teachers or teaching assistants or technicians or anyone who works in a classroom or indeed a corridor. If you don't feel safe to learn, you don't learn. So that was one of the five things. Another really key thing was um, collaboration. It turns out in schools where teachers generally grow and develop, um, then teachers say we have loads more opportunities to work with each other. And we talk about how we plan our lessons and we co-plan lessons and we explore student assessment, um, you know, student assessment examples of work or data or tests together. And we look at curriculum development together and we just essentially pool our wisdom. So a lot of our teaching is based on the collective wisdom of all of us and not just of one person. And we just get to talk about things and try things out and explore things together. And it feels more intellectual. So, uh, you know, that, that sense of collaboration turned out to be really important too. And I mean, you know, I'm sure you can think of places where you got better as a teacher. And one of the things is you just have good people to talk to, don't you? hundred percent. Like the, I think for me, the, the biggest loss in terms of, you know, teacher development when it came to COVID-19, when it came to lockdowns and such, was that loss of the staff room. You know, when yeah. you, you lose that moment where yeah. you can get in there and you can, you know, vibe off each other and you can chat and you can have these ideas and, you know, you can suggest things that you've done, you've read. And and that kind of disappearing, you know, lots of places appeared online that, that, that took its place. And, you know, there, there were you could connect with loads of like-minded people across the world and there were endless webinars um, that, that came up. But mm. there's nothing quite like your staff room. No, where you've got like your people that you know, you know yeah. how they work, they know how you work. And, you know, somebody will come into the staff room and just be like, I did this in class and this is going to work brilliantly. I think you'll like it. So yeah, for me, absolutely. that was a huge loss. Absolutely. Um, and it was, it's very interesting how uh, people really found that uh, quite socially challenging as well. It's the, because we know in order to thrive in the workplace, you need to have these sort of social connections that you have this sort of relational trust you build with other colleagues. And the more isolated you feel, the more anxious you can feel because you're not getting that support from others. You don't necessarily feel that sense of belonging. You get more anxious about what other people are doing and thinking because you don't just have those little interactions. Um, so yeah, this sense of collaboration and, and a good space for that is really important. And then there were, there were other aspects like, um, really open communication in schools where teachers tend to get better people say I can just be a lot more open and honest about what is working and what isn't working I can feed back look I think there's an issue with x to my uh, my line manager or to my head teacher um, I just feel we're kind of more on the same page as the staff um, I feel we we trust each other we're more open we're kind of all headed to try and do the same things we have the same goals the same values like all of that cultural stuff turns out to be really important for helping schools improve and the difficulty with this is if you wanted to be a research cynic and it is good sometimes to be a research cynic you could say well yeah but you know if your school starts getting better then those things will improve right and it's not like getting schools getting better makes that stuff happen and it's not the other way around but actually there is some evidence particularly there were a couple of studies where they looked at this over a period of time and they tended to find that actually levels of trust and collaboration and behavior and things improved first and then the school started improving. And when they didn't, the school didn't improve. So actually, that says if you're uh, if anyone listening looks after other teachers or works with leaders or is a leader, 
actually attending to these things, making sure we're really focused on a really positive set of communication, great collaboration, great behavior, great on the same pageness is really important. Um, there was other stuff we discovered. So like, it's that kind of leader versus boss thing really, isn't yes. it? You know, we, we often yes. hear about leadership in, in education. Um, but sadly, far too often the, the leaders are bosses, you know, they're not leaders. They don't, they, you can't go to them with an issue. You know, I've, I've worked in places. I, I worked in a, a, a very large private school here. It was actually voted. Now, I have, I'm not a huge fan of, of league tables for schools, um, uh, to put it mildly. Um, it was voted the, the best school in, in the city, in the area. So of the top 100 in all of Spain, it was number 70, which was the highest in the whole city. Mm. Um, now, I, I worked there for, for three years and I didn't have any professional development. Ugh at all like absolutely zero the only thing i had was what i kind of looked for myself i did a lot of um like training online um exam training and stuff like that and as a teacher trainer myself while i was there i was suggesting that i gave training sessions to the other teachers because it was um it was a school that also has a university so basically oh, right. okay. You know, the kind of school feeds into the university, but it then produces teachers that feed back into the school. And this is yeah. kind of endless loop of privately educated people teaching each other, um, you know, the, the way to be in life. Um, and, you know, they, they had a decent level of English. It was a, a bilingual school. Again, I say with inverted commas here. Um, and, and most of the teachers had a fairly decent level of English, which was great. But... A lot of them didn't really know how to teach in English. Yeah. So, you know, you'd have the, the science teacher who would be teaching science in English. He'd be doing it in English, but it would be using English words rather than actually teaching. And I, I offered, I went to the, the director of the school, the head teacher, and I said to her, Look, I'm, I'm happy. I don't need to be paid any extra. I just think these guys really need a bit of training and I'm, I'm happy to provide it. And she was like, oh, I'm not really sure. We'll talk to the foundation, you know, the people who, who run everything. So yeah. I went and spoke to the foundation and it wasn't something that interested them. And I was just like, I'm, off I'm offering you free, free CPD to, yeah. to help your teachers in a time when we have our weekly staff meeting. So I'm not even asking anybody to stay any longer. I'm just saying, can we not talk about the students and how they go into mass and can we maybe talk about how we deal with behavioural issues in the classroom or, you know, how we deal with this, that, yeah. or the other. Now, that school, I witnessed in that school the worst thing I've ever seen as a teacher in my entire life. There was a boy who, who at the time was nine and he was, he was a bit of a crybaby. Don't get me wrong, you know, but nine-year-olds cry. It's yeah. understandable. Yeah. Things are horrible. You do something wrong, you want to cry. I want to cry most of the time anyway, you know. So yeah. he'd been labelled as this crybaby, and, and he was loud when he cried. Um, and one day he was screaming and crying. So what the teacher did was drag him out of his class, so took him to his, his sister, who was in year one, in front of the whole class, and said that, you know, Look at your brother. He's acting like a baby. Can you see, can anyone else in here see that like you see these other younger kids crying like this? No. Now, that was bad. 
Oh. What happened next was criminal. And what they need to do was, you know, these teachers need some serious training in, in sensitivity training. There were these like fish bowls, basically, where the students would go and lay down and read. There was some artificial grass, you know, it gets to 50 degrees here in summer. So yeah. it was like a shady area, but it was it was inside the corridor, but outside. Mm. And the teacher put him in there, locked the door and was pointing at him and like, you know, drawing attention to this boy that was crying to everybody that was walking past. And I was like, how is a teacher, but like it, like my, myself and another teacher who heard this, we came out of class and we just like ended it immediately because it's mm. just not okay. Um, but, but, you know, how has this person not been given some kind of sensitivity yeah. training at the very least? Yeah. Do you, know, do you know what? I mean, that is a, it's a horrifying story, but um I mean, that raises a whole bunch of questions, doesn't it? So there is an environment. If, if, if that colleague had done something like that, that, there is zero doubt in my mind there would have been other signs of things that they had done that were an issue and that colleagues had spotted. So therefore, in that school, there was not a culture where people can say, listen, I'm just a, just, I just want to share with you in case, you know, just sharing this is helpful. Um, they hadn't shared it with colleagues. Leaders may have spotted things, but decided it was kind of too awkward to say anything. And I don't really know what we can do. Um, that person may have been going around if they hadn't figured it out themselves. Um, or maybe they'd sort of figured it out, but were then masking. They were figuring it out with pretending that everything was OK. But no one had actually had a, well, a kind conversation, actually, which is to kind of say, hey, this is a real problem. This is a real problem. Right. And that's a massive issue in schools where literally people are not communicating with each other. People are seeing things and they're not communicating. And that second one is people are not being reflective. Like there aren't enough conversations about what good looks like and what good doesn't look like. And then that is a teacher who either has not been listening or is not reflecting. And they've got peers and leaders around them who are not doing anything about it. And so much change gets stuck in schools because of lack of reflection, lack of communication. Um, now, in some cases, yeah, you know, there are going to be people who actually they are quite confident that whatever it is they're doing is fine. And, and a lot of the rest of the profession would say, no, it's just not. And that means that we have to have those conversations. And we, we've, so we've made this a massive theme in the, um, the leadership training that we do as a charity. Um, we do the, um, the, well, the English NPQs, the National Professional Qualifications. And literally every single qualification starts off by thinking about communication and change and reflection and culture because it's just the thing that goes wrong so often and that is a horrifying story Harry. that is really awful but you kind of think how on earth did a school get to that right and no one do anything about it and and even like that to be honest the whole thing about there wasn't enough cpd that's a problem as well isn't it um absolutely and it's a problem from two sides number one you said, oh, I think I've spotted something could be helpful. You go and you say something and people kind of don't listen. Number two, there are lots of other colleagues going and doing things and actually weren't in a culture where they could say, hey, do you know what? There may be ways I can do what I do better. And maybe that culture had got them to a point where they think, do you know what? Yeah, CPD here is kind of not any point. But also they'd allowed themselves to get into a state of like, I don't think I need to know much. Actually, I just kind of need to defend myself against change. And I'll just say, you know, anyone listening, um, I campaign 100% for CPD to be done better, you know, cultures to be better, people to be, teachers to be more respected. But at the same time, the other side of that is we have to be open and more reflective and actually more open to saying, maybe I could be better. 
maybe there are more ways to do that we deserve the support we deserve not to be just told you're rubbish you need to be better but at the same time it does require us to keep having like hard conversations with ourselves if you like just to say i wonder if i could do better i wonder if my ideas whenever i've headed down the misguided route i wonder if there are different ways of thinking about this and when we put the two things together that's when the magic happens yeah i mean there, were, there was one guy there at the school alberto's name um and he was very very like he was wet behind the ears he was fresh out of university he came straight in um and i remember when i just learned how to be a teacher for me that was the moment when i knew everything that was the moment when i you know i'd finished i'd trained i got my degree i was ready i i knew everything i didn't need to learn anything else that first year maybe first year and a half was the time when i was like yes i know it all but he wasn't like that at all um which was really refreshing. And he came to me because there was no CPD at the school. He would come to me and he would ask me not only about the English to use, but, you know, how to deal with certain problem students, you know, and how to do this that, and the other. Because the way that the school had their discipline ideals was, you know, if, if you shout louder, then the students will well be quiet or they'll cry or you mm. can lock them in a fish. <laughs> you know, that, that was the kind of attitude in the school. Um and one of the issues with that was the leadership, the the fact that the leaders, you know, the the year heads um, and the the faculty leaders, they were they were chosen because of you know they were good friends with the the head of studies. No, well they you know there's a thing here in Seville called the feria, which is the town fair basically, and it's a very elitist, exclusive thing um, where you have to pay a yearly fee to go along, um, to go to your your tent, your caseta, where you, you dance and drink for a week. Um, and a basically, week. A, a week, yeah, it's a, there's a week-long holiday for it here. You know, you get a week off, and it's just people go there, and they spend basically a mortgage worth. I'm, um, I'm a big fan of elements of this already, I have to say, although I can hear <laughs> there's a butt coming. <laughs> well, no, it is brilliant. I love the feria here. Um, I don't have my own caseta. I don't have my own tent to go to, so I have to rely on others as did the director of studies. Um, and basically, whoever invited him to their tent would be the ones who were moved into a leadership role. Um, and, and for me, it's just like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not how you choose your leaders. I mean, it might be how he chose his leaders, but I'm, I'm pretty sure when you're choosing your leaders, that's not the, yeah, the key look, route to go down. 100%. I'm, I'm going to like two things about that. On the one side, um there is a it's a i've spoken to loads of leaders about this and sometimes they get themselves in the muddle they're kind of saying oh i really i really want to develop my colleagues and so you know i really try and talent spot and then i tap people on the shoulder and say hey you should go for this and they feel very happy with themselves and actually it's good to be proactive and suggest to people hey maybe you can go for this what they then run into is other people who said well you didn't tap me on the shoulder and Hmm? How, how come that doesn't seem particularly fair and actually that is a genuinely difficult leadership decision sometimes you say i can just see that if that person does that role like life will be better but you also have to temper it by saying is there anyone else who would like to do this role um and sometimes you say oh my god but i need this person there right now and i can't go through that process so i generally have some sympathy for leaders but so many people get themselves into issues by just saying oh there's someone i really know and trust and they can just do this and that would be great I think on the other side, though, we probably also need to acknowledge that when you're on the outside of that and you're looking into it, 
the we can make a lot of assumptions about why did that person get there and uh i guess it's also tempering that right in as much yeah. as who chicken and egg i don't know devil's advocate here maybe there'd already been conversations with these people and maybe they only started turning up to that tent because for some other reason that was, you know, it's either a third party related reason or there was something previously that they'd shown they had great potential and were then invited to. I don't know. So I would just also say to people, one of the things I realized um, as I started sort of shifting, I suppose, from being a classroom teacher and you know, leading a team and so on, is actually just as you keep going, the more influence you have, the more other people make assumptions and they will very often default to oh i'm kind of assuming you're doing that for kind of fairly unpleasant reasons right um and it doesn't matter how nice you are as a person people just start making assumptions that say oh, maybe this is happening maybe this is oh, happening and we so are, much gossip oh so much and we are naturally built to gossip about people who are in senior positions because it kind of it's like a you know people in authority you need to constantly check like are we happy with what they're doing here and if necessary it's like an evolutionary thing, isn't it? Like if people in authority are doing bad things, we need to make sure everybody knows. And if necessary, we bring them out of authority and put someone else there instead, because that allows our survival as a tribe. So I would just temper it with that. It may well be this was dreadful leadership, but it may also be that, um, you know, the gossip machine sometimes goes on overdrive, but then that's because no one's replaced it with good conversations to have. So Exactly. I mean, the proof was mostly in the pudding in that, they weren't great leaders in the end, you know, yeah. <laughs> when their areas kind of went to pot almost. Um, Which is a problem. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. We, we, I, I mentioned very briefly um, the pandemic. Um, it's teachers, burnout has always been a thing with teachers. Yeah. You know, teachers have always been worked too hard and underpaid and underappreciated. Um, this has only been amplified by the pandemic, which every you keep thinking, has it gone away now? Yeah. Has it gone away now? And then you listen to the news from before and the number of, of cases and absenteeism is down by, was it 0.17% from, mm. from previously? Like, yeah. which isn't really enough. Now, no. <laughs> here in Spain, there's um, students and teachers still have to wear masks in the classroom. Um, which, you know, my daughter has been in the classroom with students who have had COVID um, and they've, they've tested positive and, and then obviously not gone back in. She hasn't had it. Um, we've not had it. I know that you've you've just come out the other end of the tunnel, yes. haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I It finally got me after two years and I've just, after two weeks, finally stopped testing positive. Um, but yeah, it is... Um, it's very strange in schools, isn't it? And it has been very strange and seeing how com different systems have done completely different things. And, um, and also how you can take a hundred very smart people who really try to get very informed and they can start from a very similar place. And then at the two extremes, one on the end turns into like literally masks are the worst abuse we've ever visited on our children. And on the other end, masks, um, you know, uh, COVID is the worst thing ever possible. I mean, never need to send our children into school. And why aren't we just like literally battened down and everybody in isolated pods sort of thing. Um, and it's kind of like, wow, we <laughs> talk about losing any nuance and getting yourself down a rabbit hole. Um, but poor teachers have been left in the middle. Yeah. And it's been completely exhausting. 
So, you know, one of the things they say makes you thrive in your role is that sense of certainty. I kind of, I know the sorts of challenges that are likely to happen. I know the sorts of things, if they do go wrong, I can kind of predict them, anticipate them. And I feel I have the, the, both the freedom and the capability to meet those challenges. And all of that went out the window, literally from day to day. I have no idea what the future is going to be. I have no idea what the challenges are. When the challenges come in, I've never dealt with them before. I actually don't have the resources and in, in many cases, the freedom to deal with it. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to, you know, teach this stuff online or do this or do this or, or help these children. And then I'm dealing my relations with ships with other people, some of whom are becoming sick and angry and worried, and some of whom are reacting in all sorts of different ways. It took a huge emotional toll. And yet all the way through that, we, you know, teachers, you have to be in the classroom. And then sections of media say, it's all the teacher's fault. They should yeah. be working harder, right? Look at all them slacking at home, which was a horrific media narrative that got really badly. It happened actually all the way around the world, which was really tragic. Um, so with all of that, it's been an incredibly tough few years. And I think I felt very tough for a lot of teachers, particularly ones who are working with more vulnerable pupils, um, whether mainstream schools, um, but just very vulnerable communities who've literally said, look, in the end, I'm prioritizing my children's outcomes here. And actually in this area, trying to teach them the curriculum is so much less important to me than just trying to get them to have food and checking in every day to make sure that, you know, the domestic violence is not directly causing the misuse. Whereas in other areas, we're very much, you know, much better resourced homes, but it just turning to little pressure, academic pressure cookers and everyone getting very stressed and anxious. But then also teachers who had to work in non-mainstream settings and just said, well, there's literally no alternative here. This is a pupil who has significant needs and I have to be with them. And yet I'm putting my own health at risk. But, and I felt massively sorry for the leaders who have to coordinate all of this, not knowing, not having many more resources, constantly being told the expectations are changing, having to deal with them, their own emotional toll, all of their families, all of their staff, all of their pupils, all of their families. And we're seeing exhaustion. We're just seeing complete exhaustion and burnout. Um, and it really worries me, especially when people just start saying, oh, you know, it's fine, COVID's over, or we're going to assume it is. So let's go back to fast pace of change. Sometimes <laughs> people just need some time just to exhale. Yeah. Say, and actually talk about and actually have like a bit of a national conversation and said, well, that was really tough. And let's just think about how it affected all of us. Yeah, what we should do is add 15 minutes at the end of every day. That'll fix everything, you know. Well, exactly. And then daft. But like the last thing everybody needs is to say, work just as hard as you are. And then you can have enforced 20 minutes of yoga every day, for example. Which is just like, that is not giving people more sense of agency and so on. So, Don't get me wrong. I think yoga is brilliant. It I is love great yoga. If you choose it, to do it. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. If somebody had, like, you know, if 15 years ago somebody had forced me to do yoga, then they would not have been on the receiving end of yeah. a particularly pleasant response. Well, um, also imagine being, you know, forcibly instructed to go into spandex and uh you know sit next to some colleagues you just frankly don't want to sit next to while you're doing your uh attempting a pigeon pose or downward dog that, that exactly is, you know, that's not good and again that's another one of those hey listen i know what's good for you i'm not going to ask you i'm just going to tell you um and it's just not respectful it's not meeting people where they are so exactly it has been tough but we need to collectively say it has been really tough just really quickly um i, I would say there's been a couple of silver linings including wow, there's loads of stuff on the internet that we can all do together. There's loads of tribes out there we've kind of connected with. And actually, in some ways, we've kind of discovered there are ways to do slightly more hybrid teaching for teachers and pupils that actually 
we go, oh, do you know what? Now that I've done that, I'm going to keep doing that. But, 100%. I mean, small silver lining of a, what has been a pretty grey cloud. <laughs> yeah, there, I think there have been, you know, a fair few um, of these silver linings. You know, this, and it, it brings me back to the, the two-minute tech, you know, with people worrying yes. about whether they know enough about tech here, there, and yes. everywhere. We all know a lot more about tech now. I'd like to consider myself as being fairly informed beforehand as it was. Um, so I'd done some online teaching and, you know, I, I knew what Zoom was, um, which was more than uh, a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I felt pretty lucky in that respect. Um, yeah. And seeing the adaptability that teachers had um, to go from classroom to online teaching overnight. And, you know, it, it was amazing to see... Um, and to see the the power that they they kind of I don't know they felt empowered um, they felt empowered um, within that um, we're going to shoot off very quickly um, in a couple of minutes we'll be back I've got a few more questions to ask you if you're willing to to hang around with us yeah great stuff yeah amazing well we're going to pop off shortly and we'll be back in a couple of minutes don't go anywhere. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today.
We're the Slack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. Uh, we are back. Thank you for, for sticking around there, everybody. Um, so I've got a few more questions. I've, I've actually got a whole heap of questions for you, but I don't think we're going to be able to get them all in. Quick um, fire round. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite colour? No, that wasn't it. Orange. Um, no, okay. orange. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I picked you for, a, for a, a light blue kind of guy. No, um, no. It's orange. But anyway, there we go. Come on. Okay. There you go. I, I Sorry. can do this. Right. Um, fire so, away. School leaders often say that they want to see consistency in teaching. Um, yeah. Is this the right approach? Okay, begin rant. No. Um, so, look, I completely get it. Some people say, oh, if only teaching was better here, and if, I, if all of these teachers were just more consistently doing great lessons, then everything would be great. In my mind, a great lesson has these features, and it should look like this and feel like this. Therefore, I want to see all teachers doing the same thing, and I want consistency. And um, this is, so yeah, I always think about, um, imagine you have a, a, a restaurant um, and think of the kitchen in the restaurant and you've got, I don't know, 10 chefs all, all working away in this big restaurant. And you're kind of thinking, oh, I wish the food was better. Um, it may well be that you could go around and say, right, I will want you to hold your knives this way and I want to see you wiping the thing this way. And there may be a few basic things that you can say consistency will help you. That is not going to get you more delicious dishes, ultimately. That is going to maybe deal with salmonella poisoning, if that was an issue. But it really is not going to suddenly make the quality of food shoot up and make the diners incredibly more happy and have loads more nutrition, right? The way we do that is by creating real expertise. And you can't see expertise because expertise, um, you know, what we're beginning to learn about these incredible predictive models of the brain are essentially about you just have to have a really good sense of what's coming all of the different possibilities that could be coming up at any moment in your lesson, how different people might react, different ways that you could potentially act in different ways, the things you need to pay real attention to, you need to focus on planning ahead and anticipating problems as they come in the future, like all of that, that is what great experts do. And when school leaders go around and say, I just want consistency, then essentially you're at the level of let's stop the salmonella in the kitchen, but you are never in the let's create great teaching. And in fact, worse, all these people were really, you know, intelligent, curious individuals who are trying to do a really great job. So we go back to the chefs, they train to create wonderful food. And if we're just saying, well, actually, I'm just going to basically check a tick box to see if you've, you know, wiped the surface properly and you're holding the knife right and your onion slices are the correct width, um, they're going to be really demotivated. They'll feel frustrated and disrespected. Now, okay, maybe if you've got a food poisoning outbreak, that's the first thing you do. But you have to rapidly then move on to, I need experts. This is a problem in schools. So I'm nearly at the end of the rant. But essentially, we have to stop saying, oh, I just want ev to see every single person, you know, lining kids up this way and going in this way and doing five minutes of retrieval practice at the beginning and then doing this and homework should look like this. Because in the end, you want great learning. And actually, if you're disempowering teachers, that is not helping you. Now, on the other hand, there are some things where, as a group of teachers, say you and I are teaching a group together, if we agree that actually rather than both making our own decisions, we'll kind of say, look, let's both agree to do this. And then actually we can focus our efforts on these other bits because we both agree to use the same, I don't know, curriculum materials and so on. That's different. That is, we have agreed to voluntarily give up some autonomy individually so that collectively we're more able to use our wisdom and individually I can focus on the stuff that matters. That is so different from 
just being told you're not allowed to do all of those things and you have to do those things. And if I wander into your lesson, I need to see X, Y, and Z. So, so I can tick the box. Tick the box, exactly. And, you know, we've had long conversations about box ticking already. I completely get why leaders want to do this. And someone had a really good argument with me. Okay, So at one point, I was completely anti-all consistency. But essentially, they were of the, you know, if there's a massive safeguarding issue or if behavior is just completely horrendous, actually just telling everybody, just do X might solve things. And then they'll, but you have to persuade people to be on side and say, I'm really sorry to take away your freedom here. Bear with me. Like, I promise you, if you go with me on this, you'll suddenly find things are getting better. And then we'll be able to do the real expert stuff. Um, But too often it's not. And it's just this battle where leaders get themselves into a battle of telling people what to do. They think teachers are grumpy because they don't want to be better, which is nonsense. And then they think I just have to monitor harder and intervene harder and use more performance management. And it's just not right. That is not the way we improve schools. And the research shows us. And even if you do manage to get your school to get better for like a year or something, you'll have exhausted, grumpy, dehumanized leaders, exhausted, grumpy, low morale teachers who want to leave the profession. And that is completely unsustainable. And frankly, it will break down within a year or two and things will go back to as they were. So there we go. Rant finished. Well, I I like to think about that with the the consistency side of things. You know, you you can't tar everyone with the same brush. Not all teachers are the same. Not all students are the same. Now, I do think that schools should have, you know, behaviour policies. You know, they should have... Yeah, you know, ways to deal with the these issues and you know certain things, but the way in which it's done, the way in which it's approached, should be different for for every student. There's there was nothing more frustrating for me as a teacher than um, other teachers who, you know, wouldn't let the whole class out to to playtime because two kids had misbehaved in the class. You know that that traditional. You know the whole class is punished because two kids oh, have misbehaved. I didn't yes. see who it was, so you're all here for all of break time. I'm and the worst waiting. thing, is the, yeah. <laughs> and the teacher would say, "This is my break time too," you know. And it's just yeah. like, well, that's that's a that's a rubbish pro- sol- way to solve the problem. It's an it awful way, way to solve the problem. Yeah. That's I, not I hand up. I like. I've totally tried using that in my teaching career as well, but that's because I, I did as well. Better at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's really frustrating, isn't it? When you see um, when you when you see those sorts of things. But so I think, you know, your key point there is actually some consistency in the way we approach things can be really helpful because actually it creates a culture. Um, It's not just teaching that improves how, you know, pupils learn. It's their peers and also what happens there, sort of the culture they're in both in school and out of school. And if you're working in a really disadvantaged background area, then actually there are a lot of things that make that not necessarily a really conducive academic culture, which means you're working really hard. And But if you're in a, another school, maybe, you know, parents are generally a lot more pro-academic, then actually you don't even realise how much you're being carried along on a wave of the kids just like pushing each other and their parents pushing them and everything. So actually for you and I to say, look, why don't we teach the kids and explain just to be really consistent. No one has to think very hard. You all line up this way. You all do these things. That's fine. Because actually, I don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. We all know it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, everyone knows what happens. That's fine. But it can't just be a list of rules that you follow and I follow. Everyone needs to kind of understand why. And then also you and I need to just be really well trained in spotting the issues before they occur, 
figuring out if something does go wrong, not to go, oh my goodness, all I'm allowed to do now is, I don't know, press the button on the computer that summons the senior leader or put your mark on the board. Like you need to think, right, what am I seeing here and why? What are the different ways I can approach this? Um, what's, how do I rebuild relationships here? Because ultimately after this, not only do we have to stop this disruption and get everyone else feeling safe, but we have to get back to really good learning and relationships in future. And that requires a lot of expertise. And sometimes behavior systems go down to a, a list of inflexible rules. Um, and sometimes they're so inflexible and stupid and badly organized that some teachers just say, forget it, I'm not going to bother. But let's also be honest, we all, you and I both also know systems that would have worked a lot better if there weren't just one or two teachers who were just like, oh, I'm a maverick. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to bother because I'm just so maverick. And you're like, well, that's not really fair because it's not just you in your classroom. It's us in our classrooms. And if you do that, that, that poor little wet behind the ears down the teacher down the corridor, they don't know any better how to do it. So I'm sorry, suck it up, sunshine. Just do what everyone else does in this small way and release your maverick nature in another way. But please, can we just all agree to do certain things? So again, you know, it's not all on leaders here. It's actually sometimes we have to say we are a collective, we are a profession, and and it's our collective efficacy for pupils and not just everyone do their own fun thing, right? Well, yeah, I remember when I, oof, many years ago now, um, I, I'd go into the class and, and I'd start, you know, the first lesson would be, okay, guys, let's write a list of rules for what we're going to do oh, this year. Oh, no, yes, right? I did that too. You know, the list of and like one of them now for me it was terrible like because I before I came to Spain I'd I'd lived in I'd lived in um, South America I'd lived in Vietnam China and Australia so I came here I, I couldn't speak any Spanish whatsoever so so I got here and one of my rules was no Spanish in the classroom whatsoever you know it is absolutely banned it is prohibited like so immediately. I'm telling people they can't speak their own language. This was with six and seven year olds as well. Like, yeah. So hang on a minute. You're expecting these kids who have like no English to suddenly magically. No. So, yeah, I realized quite quickly that that wasn't the way. Um, and you mentioned something else there that it isn't just, you know, those those 45 minutes, that hour in the classroom. There are so many other factors. And if yes. you're working, as you say, in an area, in a disadvantaged area where, you know, we mentioned again earlier, people don't know where their next meal is coming from. Mm. You know, they, they they come to school and they're hungry. Um, they're hung, a hungry teenager. Now, I don't know how you control the behavior of a, of a, a well-fed teenager. So an, a hungry teenager on top of that, like, yeah. you know, I see it in my daughter. If she hasn't, doesn't have her afternoon snack, which she hasn't had yet, actually. Disaster it's going to be an absolute be nightmare. So, yeah. Who knows what you're going to see when you when you you know step out of this room, Harry? But um, yeah, I agree. And it's you know coming up with systems that will actually re kind of respect where these children or young adults are coming to us, and just sort of really getting a sense of how I can work with what I understand about their background and their peers and so on to to try and help them. Like it's very difficult. It's very difficult to do that, um, and completely rigid systems don't necessarily work that said if we go too far down the route of um you know oh i needed to complete everything must be independently customized to each pupil then we lose the fact that actually our schools are organized so that we learn together in groups and that means it's not only each in there's not 30 individuals there is also they are massively impacted by their peers and so 
we have to like each pupil is behaving not for their not just for their own learning but for everybody else's and if one pupil is not behaving it's not just impacting their learning but it's impacting everybody else's um and indeed it's also turns out it's impacting my learning as a teacher as well um so there is a the real balance in this and we can do it with love and tenderness and care but also helping people understand you know you're not just a human by yourself in this world you also have to be part of this collective but also if you come in and you you know you you witnessed domestic violence last night and you uh, you know you literally haven't eaten and you're feeling really ashamed about that and you've been teased by some of your peers my goodness i need a different approach to deal with that that makes you feel a sense of belonging and safety here so that we can begin to get to some of the other staff understanding the layers of trauma you have been through and are going through in your life which has led to you loads of issues with your own self-regulation and your own issues so it's just that's way beyond introduce a set of five rules that everybody just follows and those make sure you put your hand up yeah yeah but also you know like it feels dehumanizing using those rules sometimes and people tell us oh it's just good and everybody should do it but actually it's you've got to get to the people underneath it uh so it's just very hard teaching is very very hard and it's amazing and when it's right i mean we've all had that experience of that maybe people who had more difficulties who we do manage to reach and someone who had disconnected and we get them to reconnect or someone who, and it's magical, isn't it? It's just magical and you never forget that. And that's like, this is what we're trying to get here and we're trying to develop and help people to do that and create an environment where we can all do that um, and treat people with the respect they deserve for this incredibly difficult, amazing profession. It really is. I mean, it, you know, when, when people think about teaching, they think, you know, you need to know everything about maths, for example, if you're going to be a maths teacher. Well, you know, you probably do need to know quite a lot about maths to be a maths teacher. I'm not going to lie. But that's not even half of it. No. It's not even close to half of it because it is all about relationship building. It is 100% about the rapport in the classroom. And, you know, if you can if you can get those classroom leaders, those student leaders on your side, if you can get them, you know, working well in the classroom, if you can get them fighting for a cause, you know, classes will be much easier. I know when I kind of, I'm not going to say, when I got environmentalism more into my teaching, you know, I've always mm. been a, a, a campaigner and, and, you know, an activist for, for the climate, for, for yeah, the planet. Yeah. Um, but it was back in probably 20. 15 when I started to really get it involved in my my classes um when I was at this this school I said I was working at before um, the one with no CPD um and I noticed that when I found kind of three or four members of the class who were really interested in in making a difference in in trying to help the planet you know everybody kind of came together and and in the end it wasn't me in a class of 25 to 30 students trying to calm them down trying to you know managing them so I can cram 10 minutes of education into their heads it was it ended up we were this collective and we were you know we were were fighting for a cause Mm. but we were doing it with English as the the kind of the key as the the fundamental that we were learning with so so we were there and we were you know these are these are were fifth grade so they were nine and ten um and, yeah. and we were writing letters to the governors. We were writing letters to the parents. We were writing letters to local um, members of parliament in Spanish for the members of parliament. Um, but the others were all in English. And 
and everybody was there and they were keen to get on board with it and they were going home and they were reading articles and they were sending articles to each other and um you know we were all focused on this thing because i'd found those three or four people in the classroom those leaders now this was a very privileged school um the, the thing you needed to worry about with behavior there were students who would come in and be like, I pay your wages. Yeah. You know, it was <laughs> that kind of, yeah, well, you don't. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of holier than thou approach. You know, they yeah, yeah, they yeah. really had that superiority thing. That was the the battle rather than, you know, people who work in, in um, comprehensive schools where, you know, the issues are, far more wide reaching and you know there were the school was um it was it's a private catholic school Mm. uh where everyone everyone is white you know Mm. there so there were you know a thousand and something students where absolutely everybody was white and everybody was the same and everybody was this and there was never any bullying in this school because everybody was so well behaved. Yeah. You know, bullying oh, here, no, none of it, except the teachers to the students. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was that kind of, yeah, that thing that you need to find those classroom leaders to make your classes and help yeah. your classes go along like that. Exactly, and, and that's the recognition that exactly this. It's like, you, I can be here for you in your classroom, but actually what you learn now is also dependent on Stuff you learned previously with your teachers, stuff that you learn in the future with my colleagues, um, stuff that you learn in other lessons, um, the conversations that you have and how supportive your peers are and how everyone feels about it, and both within the classroom and outside, the conversations you have with family and how supportive they are and how much you're able to focus on it, how inspired and interested you feel in this because of the community and what you see in the media. And like you can't influence all of those things, but just to think your only thing there is the lesson, it's, that's not... And um, and actually, you know, sometimes you will get those moments where you weave things together and you get that magic exactly as you talked about. And there's a cause and it's brilliant. And then other times it may be that you're weaving bits together that actually so that the teacher next year can suddenly bring the magic alive. And it's actually okay to do both, isn't it? It's fine to be this might not be the most inspirational thing, but I just want to build up your confidence and your engagement and your understanding and your knowledge and your skills. So that we've created this foundation that next year someone can, you know, shoot the rocket in space. Um, and both of those things are teaching. Um, and sometimes the teaching is just kind of managing people through some trauma, you know, a really difficult time in the school and trying to get a bit of learning in there. But uh, this is why it's so unfair to judge schools against each other. It's even unfair to judge teachers against each other in many ways because it's... The, the quality of learning that goes on is so contextual to those children and the families and what happened that week and what how things feel and how you felt personally in your own health and it's why it's very very hard you know to compare teachers and probably we should bother about it a lot less just well, focus on helping teachers develop and work as teams a lot more it get, it makes me so angry um the, the point where it would come to the evaluation stage yeah. You know, they're all looking at, they're going around looking at the, the exam scores from each of the different classes. Now, Spain is obsessed with exams. Like, it's not, it doesn't like exams. It is obsessed with exams. Um, my, my daughter has an end of unit exam for, for every different subject that she mm-hmm. has. She also has an end of semester exam. She also has an end of year exam. Yeah. 
Yeah. And at the end of the year, what she gets is a list of 10 numbers for all of our subjects. And that's it. That's all we get as a report yeah. from, from the teachers. It's, you know, it's exam obsessed. And, and we would go into the evaluations and, and we'd all sit down and we'd all be chatting. And, you know, you'd see some teachers feeling really inferior to others because, you know, well, how come his class, they all got nines in the exam. But in my class, they all got eights, like, yeah. What am I doing wrong that they haven't managed? You know, well, you didn't train them for the exam, maybe the lesson yeah. before. Like... Yeah. But look, that 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 question of I wonder why this is, if it turns into a how worthy am I and, you know, how trusted am I? It's disastrously toxic. Whereas if it turns into that's really interesting. Let's go question by question. Look at what your children did and what my children did. And let's go and have a look at some of your lesson plans. And actually, in the end, you might say, oh, OK. So I can kind of see why they're ready, because actually a lot of them have been trained in similar questions. So but actually, you can also see how some of mine have a bit of depth in that they didn't have in yours. So actually, next year, there are pros and cons of each approach. And we have a professional conversation and we learn a bit and say, I'm going to try this. Would you mind popping into my lesson and have a look at? And then we have this rich professional learning conversation, whereas if it's well, um, sorry, David, you didn't do as well as Harry because your class didn't do as well. It's like, well, maybe the kids are different. Maybe something else is different. No, no, no. You can see it's in the data. It's just that simple. Well, it's not. And I'm not going to learn anything if we're talking about it that way. And actually, you've now set me into, a, you know, like a bit of a self-confidence death spiral going on here of like, I'm going to keep comparing myself. And now I'm focused on just the numbers. And that doesn't feel like it's my moral purpose as a teacher. And it's just problematic. And again, this comes to like, why do we do all of this stuff? It's because governments keep realizing that education is incredibly important and they really want the next generation to be more educated and do better and contribute more to the economy and more to the arts and more creative and everything. And they keep saying, so we need to make education better. And they just don't know how to do it. So they pour wave upon wave of change onto schools. And then that, that gets passed down to district and regional leaders who pass it down to heads and say, you have to do this. And then they say, I don't know if we're doing well enough. Let's measure more things. And it's none of these things are wrong. Like, of course, we need education better. And of course, we need conversations with people. And we need to hold people responsible for doing a good job. But you've got to have the right conversations around it. You've got to create an environment in which all that information turns into improvement and learning and people feeling sustainably engaged and excited by the job. And, you know, that goes back to what gets me up every day because we can change that and actually you know by training people in different ways and working with schools in different ways and talking to people about different models of how we can learn as a professional and as a team you know we see schools where this stuff does improve but there's a long way to go because i'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking that's not what it's like in my school um so it's fine you know I think you mentioned tweet, tweet at me. Tell, tell me tell me what we can do. How do we how do we make this better? We're on a mission here. Definitely should. Definitely should tweet at him one hundred percent. Um I'll be putting all the details in the, the description afterwards for anybody who downloads as well. Um to make sure they can tweet you. I'll also put the link into the to the article you mentioned earlier, the the research that you're, that oh, you're great. doing. Oh great, yes, to the culture of improvement um, paper. Exactly. Um I have put it in the chat box as well. So for anyone I saw here, that, can, yes. That was um, very dexterous because you were also speaking at the same time. Oh you that see. Is, um, there's a teacher skill, isn't it? It's like I'm teaching you the lesson, by the way, while I'm also doing the register and I'm also sending an email about that thing. 
There you go. Um, and I'm also watching you on that side of the classroom and you on that side of the classroom all at the same time. There you go. It's the extra pair of eyes you grow when you become a teacher. Yeah. Um, there was, there was a mystery you silence somewhere behind me. Something is wrong. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you mentioned something. Now, we've still got four minutes and I do want to bring this one up. In terms of CPD, for me, the absolute easiest and the most underused form of CPD is just popping into your, your workmates classroom, you know, yeah. just not, not a formal observation. Yes. Observations are important. Yes. You need to look at the way things are done and, and it's yeah. nice to, you know, assess your own practice, but just saying to someone you respect, another teacher, a more experienced teacher or a less experienced teacher who is fresh out of college and they've got all these bright new ideas and just, and you know, you hear all the students love their classes because they yeah. do Kahoot and Bamboozle and Nearpod and all these wonderful things. And just saying to them, well, I've got, you know, a free period where I'm invariably going to go and sit in the staff room and, and mark endless homework. Yeah. Um, do you reckon it'd be all right if I came into your classroom? Absolutely. You know, yes. Yes. Also I, I agree. watch and, and, and be part of the class. Yeah, I agree. So here's my top tips for making that work really well. Um, the, easy and potentially wrong thing to do is if I come into your class and I see you did a cool thing with some post-it notes and I go great I'm gonna do the post-it notes and actually what I need to do is say hey listen I noticed you used post-it notes like what was your thinking process what did you use do before if you hadn't done that what would have gone wrong um and actually at one point in the lesson this people said that like what were you thinking and you said that um actually get into the why what Harry did you notice at that moment and why have you chosen to make that decision and what other ways have you done and then we go from the superficial froth on the top to the actual thinking underneath. And if you want, to, you know, pop into your classroom, your colleague's classroom. But it's a bit like, I will never forget this as a beginning teacher. Someone said, oh, watch this teacher. She's amazing with behavior. And I watched and essentially said, there is some magic going on here because I cannot see it. She just seems very calm. And whenever I just go in, I'm very calm and quiet. It doesn't work at all. If I'd actually had the conversation and someone had helped me unpick what she's seeing, what she's anticipating, what she's doing, all of the things she's thinking about and all of the options she has running through her head at all times, just automatically, that is how we transfer expertise. So we need to think of teachers as genuine experts and not just, I love the way you use the post-it notes or I'm going to do use, you know, I'm going to use that little app as well. Brilliant. Because that doesn't get to the depth. Um, so yeah, let's get away from tips and tricks and post-it notes and let's talk more about the thinking of the professionals underneath. And that is the good stuff. I think that's a wonderful closing thought. Um, we're, we're coming up to the, the hour and a half. I've been thoroughly enthralled and engrossed. Um, and I would love to have you back at, at some point in, in future um, because I think the surface has merely been scratched today. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, maybe so, but I have to say we've both engaged in some really fun rants about things we have seen and things we do not like. And we've set the world to rights. And anyone listening now, that's it. Everyone knows how to do CPD perfectly now. But yeah, let's talk again. I really there you go. It. We've Thanks done time. it. CPD solved. Um, that's what, that's what we Mic should drop. call this one. Exactly. Um, it's been amazing. It's been great. Um, I've loved having you on. Thank you so much. Um, we will speak in the near future. Um, but until next week, everybody, and next week I will be speaking to John Hughes, um, who is a, a materials writer, trainer, and talks a lot about videos um, in in our materials and in our classes. And um, we'll be looking at that. So 
David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, he's he's off now. He's, he's gone. He said his goodbyes. So I'm going to say my goodbyes as well. And I'm going to play you out with the goodbye music. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.